I was going to preach today, and I am, out of Ephesians chapter 4. And, and the reason that I want to preach out of Ephesians chapter 4 is the Lord stirred me to such a place of gratitude to see that uh, you can take any person, not the least of which is me, out of this equation, and the equation doesn't suffer for it. And, and Ephesians chapter 4 talks about gifts that God, or Jesus, has given, Jesus God has given to the church in the in the offices of the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist and the pastor and the teacher and I could see and I have seen so many examples even through you know crazy ways like Facebook and, and just little anecdotal things how the church is really being the church so um, as I'm studying and reading over and over and over again Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 3 to get context for Ephesians 4 and all these things I'm getting bigger context on Ephesians in general. And, and, and the Lord showed me, because I'm like a snippet guy, right? The, the Bible will say, love your neighbor as yourself. And I'll say, okay, I should do that, without necessarily capturing the, the bigger picture of the scriptures. And, and I think that's just a function of my maturity. As I grow in the Lord, I'm seeing more and more the, the, the context and the bigger picture of the scriptures. It's awesome if all I ever got was love your neighbor as yourself, but it's better to get the bigger context. So in, in the process of trying to make sure that I understood Ephesians chapter 4 really well, he's just shined this light on Ephesians in general that's got me so excited that I think I'm going to start next week just with Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, and just run right through Ephesians. While I was in Ukraine, he did that with me with Hebrews. Just He just was lighting me up as I was reading Hebrews over and over and over again and gaining new insights. So I'm also... When this Ephesians is done, maybe there'll be a, a thought or two that comes in between, but I'm going to start Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, and we're just going to go right through the book of Hebrews and see what we can learn from that book as well. So, I wanted to give you perspective, just personal perspective, because I don't know how you all think. I, I, I don't know what your relationship is necessarily intimately with the Lord, but when I see the scriptures, I don't see them as suggestions. When, when, when he tells me, love your neighbor as yourself, I'm not seeing God asking me to do that. I'm seeing God telling me to do that. When Jesus says, or when somebody comes to Jesus and says, hey, your, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside looking for you, and Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? And he defines them as, as his faith family. I see that. I don't see church as, um, that's why we're named Church on the Street. I don't see church as something that a bunch of people that believe in Jesus do on a Sunday morning and then scatter to life the rest of the week. I see us as the family, the body of Christ, absolutely um, intermingled, intertwined to the, to the degree that we'll allow it to be with each other as family doing life which is Christ. We don't have a life anymore that's not Christ. Now, I'm not telling you that I'm perfect at walking all this out, but that's the vision. That's the way I see it. So if somebody doesn't come to church, I don't understand it because, because we're, we're family and it's important that we get together and that we worship God together and that we strengthen one another because that's the way I see he's ordained life in Christ, in the kingdom to be. So I step away. I'm gone for... Gosh, I don't know. I didn't come that Sunday I was home because I had pneumonia and I had to do a wedding Sunday afternoon. And I thought, you know, I can't mess up somebody's wedding. So I, I, I stayed in bed right up to the point where I went to the wedding. But the body of Christ 
fills the gap, right? Pastor Jim shows up. It just turns out they had a missionary speaking that Sunday. And he comes and he fills the gap because I have pneumonia. And, and I chose that I have to prioritize the wedding over a Sunday morning service. No problem, right? God is testing us. We've been the most blessed little church on earth to have big church worship team. I mean, seriously, we have the most amazingly talented, gifted, anointed worship team. And, and for a little church, we've had a full worship team, almost like from the beginning. Maddox. But lately, lately we've had a skinny worship team, right? I mean, not, not as many. And, you know, Dan Taylor has been working like crazy. He hasn't been, I don't know how long it's been since we've had a drummer, right? But it's not that there's a lack in God's ability to provide for us a drummer, it's his opportunity for us to look at ourselves and say, well, I can't worship without a drummer, or I can't worship without a bass guitar, or I can't, I can't, I can't. And I don't know about you, and I love it when there's a drummer. I, I don't even notice when there's not. Because we're being tested. How are we going to respond when we have a lot? How are we going to respond when we have a little? So today, for whatever reason, it must have been important for us to have a drummer. And he reaches into his body, and he pulls a piece over, and he closes the gap. And we have Jeremy here to just bless us to have drums because for whatever reason God said that it would be good to have drums today and he made it so it could be. So we have to have faith and trust in his ability to provide for us. That there is no lack in Jesus Christ. The riches of his glory are boundless and infinite. And we have to be prepared that whenever we see what would appear to be lack, that it's not lack, it's test. It's an opportunity for us to see where we're at and if we have an issue... It's an opportunity for us to get onto our knees and cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, wow, I've seen this lack in me. Please change me, transform me by the renewing of my mind that I might be just like Jesus Christ. Paul said that he was able to have contentment in every situation, whether he had a lot or a little, whether he was in the prison, the dungeon basement of the prison, singing worship songs to God, it didn't matter because his focus wasn't on what he had. He understood that the fullness of God was everything that he needed. It would be provided to him as, he was, as it was needed, but that he was being transformed. He was being molded and shaped into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And just like Jesus learned, Jesus learned something through suffering. Obedience, Obedience through suffering. So it's, it's these processes that God works in us. So don't ever think for one second that if God wanted to have, I don't know, you pick him, leading worship at church on the street, he'll see that it happens. Or preaching at church in the street. He'll see that it happens. Because he is no lack at all. If we ever perceive lack, it's only us coming into agreement with the liar who's trying to get us to focus on something that's the cross instead of the joy that was set before us. We endure the cross. Amen? Okay, wow. So, I couldn't be more proud. You know, there was a part of me that I hope is all the way dead that would, would want church to not be able to function without me because I'm so important. <laughs> and, and God has shown me. He's, he's taught me humility. I ask for it. I pray for humility. And sometimes the way you get humility is you get humbled and you see that you're not that important, right? I've been gone for, I don't even know how long, at least five weeks in Ukraine for four weeks and Isaac steps up and preaches an awesome message. On identity. And then the next week, Davo gets up. And Davo says exactly what Christy said. He said, 
my children are your children, and your children are my children. So when there's a kid down here that needs a hug, somebody's going to hug that kid because God's going to store him, and it might not be their mom or dad. Because who are my mother and who are my brothers and who are my sisters? It's the brothers and sisters of faith indwelt by the Holy Spirit that become family. Now, is my brother Jamie not my brother? No, he is my brother, but he's not my brother like you're my brothers and sisters. And really the higher calling, right? Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came with a sword. Because there's times when you're going to have to make a decision between following Jesus and, and what will make somebody happy, but it's compromise. And Jesus is standing there with a sword asking you to decide. You're my family. Your children are my children. My children are your children. And I'm happy to have you be the parents of my children because collectively we're going to do it a whole lot better than I would be doing it all on my own. Teresa, man, awesome messages. Man, she was carrying a heavy weight. You think I don't do much. You'd be right, but I do a little. <laughs> She's, she works now. She had to work. She's had to take care of the home. She's had to be the pastor of the church. She's had to do everything. And so many people came alongside. So many people prayed. So many people blessed. We've been eating somebody else's food almost every day. Matter of fact, every day, because we ate yours one night. (laughs) It's just so beautiful to see the body functioning the way the body is designed to function. And that's what I want to talk about today. So there is no... Um, circumcising of your heart today. Today I want you to be blessed. Today I want you to just have a, a, a realization that what God said should happen is happening and we should really feel good about it. Okay. So I'm going to preach from Ephesians 4, but I want to give a little backdrop to Ephesians. And, and I'm going to skip a little bit in Ephesians 4 because it's not relevant necessarily, at least I, I don't have that releva- relevation, revelation to today's word. But Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul's calling was to the Gentile, right? So in that day, uh, the Jews and the Gentiles didn't intermix. There wasn't relationship. There was animosity. There was problems. That's why um, when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's coming through Samaria, he's not welcomed into these towns because the Jews so rejected the non-Jews. They thought they were inferior. They weren't God's people. They weren't called by God into his kingdom. And so they, they were looked down upon. And the Samaritans' feelings were hurt. And they're, they're like, they go ahead to Jesus to prepare a place for him as he's on his way to Jerusalem. And they say, don't bring that guy here, that Jewish guy here. And there's this animosity. So the big theme of Ephesians, I think, is about unity. It's about understanding there is no difference. There is no, in the spirit, there's no man, there's no woman, there's no Greek, there's no Jew. We're all one in the Holy Spirit. And that's the overarching message of the book of Ephesians. So in uh, chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, this is what Paul writes. Consequently, you, now speaking to his Gentile people that he's called to, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul talked about this 
mystery in Christ. And then he defined what this mystery was. He said, I have been given this revelation of the mystery that's in Christ. And, and I'm like, whoa, man, the mystery in Christ. I've read Ephesians a hundred times and I never really saw that. And I'm looking for this giant revelation thing. And here's what Paul said the mystery in Christ was. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus by way of the gospel. So he is preaching to these Gentile believers who are, who are being told by many in the Jewish community that you're not really part of the program. If you read in Galatians, you see where certain Jews had come into the congregation and started to tell them, you can't be a Christian unless you're a Jew first. Tried to get them to circumcise themselves unto their salvation. And Paul's like, no way. As soon as you take on something more than Jesus, you've been severed from Christ and you've fallen from grace. So that's the backdrop to the conversation that I want to have here about unity, where Paul is trying to help his Gentile congregation, I guess, to understand that you are absolutely full-on members of the body of Christ. You're not secondary citizens. You're not um, anything but absolute sons and children of Ab- sons and daughters of Abraham because of faith, not because of blood. Whoo! Jesus said himself, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. Remember, when Jesus came, initially, he came for the Jewish people, right? When he sent the guys out, he said, don't go the way of the Gentiles, just go to the, I can't remember the exact words he used, but basically to the Jewish brothers and sisters. And Jesus says in John chapter 10, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. So Jesus said it, then Paul is reinforcing it to his um, brothers and sisters. Gentile brothers and sisters. Okay, now Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 5. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So, again, remembering the context that he's speaking in, right? Walk in a manner worthy of that which you were called has really broad implications. And and probably every implication that could go through your mind right now is right. But the implication here is your calling, worthy of the manner of your calling in unity. So don't walk outside of unity. Walk true to your calling as one body, in one spirit, under one God. Does it make sense to you? Okay, thank you. Then he goes on and he talks about how. How is in humility? How is with gentleness? How is with patience? How is with tolerance? How is in love? See, because there's always going to be forces that are trying to disunify the church. It's probably the number one priority of the enemy. First, maybe 1 and 1A is to keep people from becoming part of the body of Christ. And second is to get them to not act like part of the body of Christ. So that we don't have the power in unity that we need to have to be a city on a hill. Humility. And it requires humility. People are hurt. I have hurts in my heart, things that God probably hasn't even begun to expose to me. And when he starts to show them to me, 
what comes out of me isn't always look like Jesus. And, and some of it might get on you, but if you're not humble, and if you're not patient, and if you don't have the 1 Corinthians 13 love in your heart, then you're going to want to be separated from me because I'm not that, that pleasant to be around as I'm starting to wrestle with those hurt parts of my heart. So you have to remember, and I have to remember when I see it in you, that love is the bond that holds us together. And, and the only time you need a bond is when there's something that's testing the bond. So he says what the calling is, in, is to be unified. He says how is in ways of humility, gentleness, uh, patience, tolerance, and love, which is really all those things. And then he says to be diligent in our preservation of the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. Somewhere else in the scriptures, in the New Testament, the bond of peace is described as love itself. That the thing that holds, the glue that holds everything together is love. But love is, is, is acting. Love is surrendering and sacrificing. It's not just, I mean, I, I do believe love is an emotion. I do believe love is something that you feel. But, but if the feeling of love in the testing of love, doesn't cause the acting of love, then it was never really love in the first place. Okay? All right. So the first thing that he's trying to make us understand, and maybe the overarching thing, is unity. If there's anything that causes you to feel separation, then you have to see that, there's, that the enemy is working from a fortress. He's trying to take those places in your heart that are hurt and use them to bring separation. If I were to do something that was um, dishonoring towards God, and I, and I had some sense that you knew about it, I might not want to come here because I might be ashamed, right? Because what are you going to think of me if you knew this about me? But the truth says that, that that's the time when I need to come to the body of Jesus Christ. And then you need to operate in love, not condemning me. I'm already convicted, helping me to walk in holiness in truth and away from to repent from those things that are typically i think always caused by broken heart kind of issues yeah to be restored in gentleness amen okay so move on now unity Mm. Uh, i'm skipping let's see that was one through five so i'm skipping six through ten now we're at verse 11 in chapter four this is jesus giving gifts right the holy spirit gives gifts of um of prophecy, of tongues, of interpretation, of healing, of miracles, of discerning of spirits, of faith. There's two more. Words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Everybody in the church gets the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you with this one today, and you with that one tomorrow, and you with a different one today, and then the next week you got the one that he had, and all these things are for the edifying and the building up of the church. He also gives gifts through the Son, Jesus. Now, Jesus is the full manifestation of these five offices of the church, these five gifts, right? I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll read you the scriptures, then I'll come back. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Dang. Think about that. Just, I'm I'm going a little dory trail for a minute. I think 
that each and every one of us can be like Jesus in the Holy Spirit. But I think what he's talking about here is that the fullness of Jesus Christ is the body intertwined perfectly the way that he designs it to be unto the fullness of Christ. You operating in your gift. You operating in your gift. You operating in your gift. You operating in a gift of the Holy Spirit. You operating in a gift of Jesus in an apostolic or a prophetic manner. However it might be for each and every one of us, the fullness of Christ is realized when the body of Christ is totally interconnected and functioning the way Jesus designed it to. Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men... Trickery. 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 Doesn't sound right, but it's in there, it's good. Trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You see what he's saying? If you ever said that I'm unimportant to the body, I could disappear and no one would miss me, you'd be wrong. Now, I could disappear for a month and no one would miss me because he ordained my, my disappearing. And he was using me someplace else for his purposes and he brought the body together to close the gap that I had left because he'd called me out. But if you think that you can't you're not, you need to read 1 Corinthians 12. Well, because I'm not an eye, I'm not important. Because I'm not a hand, I'm not important. No, no, no. The body is incomplete without all the members of the body together. All the members of the body are important. There is no gift, there is no gifting that's more important than another gifting. There just isn't. It's just, it's just the way God ordains it. Because he says the ones that would appear to have the greater gifts are the ones that have to exhibit the most humility. And the ones that have the leaster gifts, the ones that are, are less comelier, I forget what the scripture is, are the ones that are to be exalted by the body so that no one will feel like they're a lack. Jesus is the full embodiment of these five expressions of himself, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. He possessed them all fully and completely. He walked 100% in, in the office of the prophet, the office of the evangelist, the office of the apostle. Everything that Jesus embodied was the fullness of these things. But as he's assigned some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, he's given to them a portion, but not the whole thing. Because if anybody was given the whole thing, there'd be two problems. They would be subject potentially to pride and boasting, right? That's why salvation can't come of your own works, because no one gets to boast in their salvation. It's only a graceful gift from God that he's allowed us to be saved so that none would boast. And, and the second reason why no one is given all of those things is because then they wouldn't need anybody else. They would have it all. But God wants us to be dependent on one another, to have a piece that fits with 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 a piece, with a piece so that a body whose head is Jesus is glorious in this world. So nobody gets it all but Jesus represents, Jesus is it all. And he apportions himself in different ways to different people to accomplish the fullness of his body. The goal, goals, unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and maturity, all three to the fullness of Christ in his body. 
He says, Paul says, the whole body fitted and held together. Fitted and held together by what? Well, he tells us, by what every joint or part supplies. If there's a part missing, if there's a part who's ashamed because they made a mistake somewhere and they withdraw from the body, then the body's not complete. It doesn't function properly unless every part is bringing what it's been given back to the game. If you're a football team and you know, you got 11 players on the field and two of them just don't come out, you're going to be hard-pressed to win the game, right? Our enemy is a formidable foe. For us to be victorious requires that all 11 players, if we're a football team, are on the field. If a baseball team, if the shortstop just stays in the dugout because he made an error in the inning before and he's, he's ashamed, he doesn't want to go out and all the people see him and they boo because you made an error. No, the team comes around and says, hey, man, that's all right. You made an error, but you'll get the next one. And if you don't, we'll be standing behind you to get it for you. And nine players go out on the field so that the team is complete, so that they have the opportunity to beat the opposition. Us, to be victorious in Christ, to be a city on a hill, requires all of us functioning as we're designed to function. A proper working of each individual part. Twice he says it, all in love. So, Ephesians 4, chapter 4, starts with, Therefore. Paul says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. The question becomes, therefore, what? The answer is, therefore, this. In chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him, him being Jesus, who is able to do far, or God, the Father, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The therefore for walking in the, in the manner to which you've been called is to bring glory to God through the power that he's placed inside of us in the person of his Holy Spirit. Jesus and the church, the head connected to the body. And he says that he's able to do more abundantly beyond what we could ask or think according to this power. So, so try to think bigger than you can think and try to ask bigger than you can ask in the context of God's will. And what he's saying is through you, through us, in unity, he can do beyond what we could even imagine. Well, what about my husband's not saved? It's like, not a problem. The church get together and pray. Your husband be saved. What about this sickness? I don't know. Church get together. Sickness will go. People will come to see Jesus through the unified body with him as its head and nothing is impossible beyond what you can even dream because of the power that he's placed in us functioning together, each part bringing to the game what it was given to complete the body underneath the head. It says, to him be the glory What is God's glory? And this is a loaded question, I think, because there's probably a whole bunch of good answers that you could give. But in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I think, at least in one context, God's glory is his perfect holiness. And, And through sin, we've fallen short of the calling to his holiness to which we've been called. So as we come together and we encourage and edify one another because maybe I'm having some thoughts about I don't trust God in this way or I might whatever. Whatever's not done by faith is sin. 
But because I'm together with you, you get maybe even a word of knowledge. Hey, are you thinking this thought? How did you know that? God must have told me. Let me pray with you. Let me encourage you. Let me show you what the word says so that I will walk in holiness and not fall short of the glory of God. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says about us. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, God has illuminated us when he put Holy Spirit inside. We are the light of the world. We have to function in the light, not in the darkness. And the lie is, eh, maybe for you, but not for me. It's like, no, no, no. You are illuminated. Don't let a basket, especially that you put on yourself, hide that light that the world needs to see, which is Jesus Christ in you and through you. And then collectively in us and through us. So when, when uh, Christy, who has the best seat in the house during worship, sees somebody's kid that needs something, and somebody else who's not his mom supplies it, that's the light. That's the unity of the Spirit. That's the bond of peace, which is love its very self. So, in the grand context of Ephesians, the glory is the unity of faith. That's what we're being called to. Brothers and sisters so committed to the Lord that the commitment is seen in unity, brotherhood, service, ultimately love. Jesus, in John chapter 13, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, the picture that, that God gave me that made me so happy, my grandson, I'm so happy, I am so happy, was of, a, was of a human circle. So I kind of preloaded a few of you. I asked for volunteers. Would you come up here, volunteers? I think I might need one more volunteer. Oh, good. One, two, three, four. Four volunteers is good. I want you to stand right here in a circle. Just hold hands like you're in a prayer circle. Okie doke. This is the church, okay? Now, just to give you an example, I'm part of this, right? I'm the church. I'm the church. Well, no accident that I got your hand right here. But Teresa and I have an assignment, and that assignment is that there's a girl in the other side of the world that God has called for his purposes into our family. And for four weeks or five weeks, I can't be here. So I leave and I go to Ukraine. And there's two things that can happen when I leave. The circle can be broken, and maybe on Sunday mornings you have a prayer service or a worship service or whatever, or the body comes together the gap is closed, and Devo takes the anointing that God has given him and all the time he spent studying the word and praying, and he brings to you an awesome message because the church isn't meant to ever be separated. He can take a piece out and connect it over here, Jeremy, Pastor Jim of all people, 1,500 people wondering, hey, where'd he go? Right? Well, he's at church on the street because that's where God called him to be today and he arranged a speaker to be there on his behalf anyway and he knew beforehand that I was going to have pneumonia. <laughs> that's the picture. So, as we're the body, things are going to happen. Like, listen, this isn't any of you guys, right? I didn't know who was going to be up here, but maybe this one says, this one irritates me right here. <laughs> right? But love isn't how I feel. Love is patience, right? It's yeah. patient and it's kind. So, so this one irritates me, but, 
but I've been given a gift from God, and I'm going to exercise patience and, and, not be, and just choose not to be irritated, right? Or maybe, um, maybe this one hurt me, right? That one hurt me. But love doesn't keep a record of wrongs suffered, right? So rather than saying the body has to be disconnected because you hurt me, and now there's a gap, and the enemy can come in and, and invade in the gap, and, and the church can be damaged. No, love says I don't keep a record of wrongs, and I'll pray that I won't take offense, and I'll pray that if there was something in their heart that caused them to lash out and, and give me pain, Lord, I pray that you heal them in their heart and will keep the body together. Let me have one more person. Trees, come on up here. I need a little bigger circle. This is, this is sort of the message, but part of it's not, but it's good truth. So now here's what happens. Somebody has hurt Teresa. And her heart is damaged. So here's what happens. Teresa moves into the center of the circle. The circle closes around her. And by love and the expression of love, Teresa can be brought back into a place of healthiness and goodness and, and find her place back out here. But, sorry, I can't use my wife for this one. Sometimes we don't behave in a manner that's appropriate to God's will in our lives. And the, <laughs> Like that. <laughs> And the scripture says that if you catch your brother in a trespass, go and tell your brother. And if he receives what you have to say, then you've won your brother back. But if he doesn't, then take another couple of witnesses and go there and try to help him to understand what's wrong so that they might repent and come into really good fellowship with God. But if they don't, you take them before the church. And if they still don't repent, you take them. Sorry, dude. There you go. You put them outside the circle. And the problem with our culture is you can't spit without hitting a church. So, so the brother who's under correction, who needs to say, gosh, oh man, I, I I'm so incomplete without the church, can't come back in until he's chosen to repent because that's the way discipline is described in the Bible. Then, by the way, God wants it. Instead of just finding another church two miles down the road and, and no healing and no goodness happens, he can be restored in a spirit of gentleness, right? I think that's Galatians chapter 6. And the circle is complete again. God has created such a plan that's built on unity. See if I need this circle anymore. I think you guys are good. Thank you so much. You are an awesome circle. See, love isn't love unless it's expressed. How is it expressed as patience, as kindness, as not keeping a record of wrongs, of not envying or being jealous, of trusting Love, love is, is an expression that brings unity and binds people together in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, describes love in the way that the church has to operate. It's patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. See, love that's not expressed when it's tested isn't love. Even, even God, for God so loved the world... He sent. He didn't sit in heaven and just love us with a sad face and, and know that our destiny was hell and that it, it just, you know, his love wasn't expressed by his sadness. His love was expressed by his action. By him saying to his son, it's been ordained before the foundations of time that you're the solution 
that will bring reconciliation, right, unity back to me with the people that I love, his love required that Jesus be sent. His love required Jesus to go. And you know the story of Jesus when he went. He was love expressed. So I just want to encourage you, because I am so encouraged, that I see love expressed. I see it happening. And maybe this is the beauty of being a smaller church, is that, that it, it doesn't just happen in small groups, you know, that you could see it in a small group. I, we can see it because we're just a little family here. And when I'm not here, Isaac steps up. Now listen, Isaac's got lots to do. He's a new husband. He's got to prepare the worship team, get the music, practice, and prepare a sermon. And, and if he's like me, it's not a five-minute operation, right? I mean, it's hard to, to get a sermon, right? Or Jeremy, who's not, he's not even with his family right now because God moved him over here this morning to bless us. It cost him something. He had to move, but love motivates it. And love is the action that does it. So I'm so, so blessed to be in Ukraine. And I hear my wife, I get on the, the video Skype, and she's like, oh, Gail Dickerson sent me a text today, and, and she was so blessed by the message because Teresa doesn't know. You know, you, you trust that you study, you trust that you heard from the Lord. But when somebody says, man, that was, that was so wonderful. Thank you for blessing me. It's the body encouraging and ministering to the body because God knew she needed encouragement. Nancy, oh my gosh, you have such a gift of encouragement. You're a wonderful encourager. I don't have a big closing. I don't have an altar call. I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you that when I was gone, I didn't have to worry that if the power quit in my house, that somebody that loved me, that was part of my extended family, was going to come and look after my wife and my house. I'm so grateful that Pastor Pat of the church on the street, isn't that important that there isn't an anointing that would bring Isaac or uh, Davo or Teresa or maybe any one of you guys who's, who's dedicated yourselves to knowing and understanding and living God's word right up into this pulpit to bless the church. This is what it's supposed to be like. This is what it's supposed to be like. The, the body coming around the body, closing the circle for the ones that are hurting, praying and praying and praying, Lord, that, that the lies will be broken so the truth will be revealed so that the joy of the Lord, even in the circumstances, can be manifest in a person's life. All the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against these there is no law. Just flowing out of the truth. Rivers of living water in the Holy Spirit. Getting the whole world wet because the light that God's placed inside of us isn't underneath the basket. It's not underneath the bed. It's out there for God to see and the world to see. Amen? Amen. So let me just close with a prayer of thanksgiving and, and say, God, thank you so much. I, I, don't, I don't have any separation of your churches, Lord. I love them all. And, and every one of them I pray is walking in your purpose. But I'm thanking you for this one this morning. I'm thanking you that your work is not in vain. That the, the transformation that comes by the renewing of our minds is happening. We are a church that's bound together by love. We are a church that's encouraging and edifying and praying and believing for the fullness that is Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that any hindrance to that that you would just strike it down in Jesus' name, that every fortress, every stronghold, every fear, every insecurity would be just absolutely exposed by the truth of who we are in Jesus, that we might continue to be a brighter and a brighter and a brighter light of this world, salt of this earth, city on a hill that everybody can see, and that you, Lord, are pleased to release your kingdom to us and through us and to bring people 
across our path that you might get glory by our good works. My prayers in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Oh, I love you so much. So much for those 20-minute sermons you had the last few weeks. God bless you. Have an awesome rest of your day.